Hi, I'm Bert Broadhead, and welcome to Building Our Future, the podcast where we meet the people changing the way we design, construct, and utilize our built environment. PropTech is one of the buzzwords of the moment. Everywhere we turn, it seems someone's talking about PropTech. We here at Building Our Future are no exceptions. And last week, I met with Will Blakey of myofficemove.co.uk, and there's plenty of others who I'd like to have on who are all involved in the PropTech industry. Before doing that, however, I really want to get to the bottom of what PropTech actually means. I think there's an element of mania surrounding the term at present. Everyone from surfaced office operators to traditional property portals seems to be keen to brand themselves as part of the PropTech movement, and I think there's a danger of starting to miss seeing the wood from the trees. So for this episode, I've tracked down a man who's more committed to anyone else I know to breaking down what PropTech actually means, what it comprises, and how we, the real estate industry, should be thinking about it and ultimately harnessing its potential. My guest today is James Disley. In recent years, through a heavy social media presence, an active blog, a weekly newsletter, and as a keynote speaker at global events, James has become almost synonymous with the UK PropTech scene. And indeed, was named the most influential person in PropTech by Lendinvest for 2016. Beyond his public persona, James runs the Digital Marketing Bureau, providing tech-enabled marketing services to companies, and PropTech Consult, where he advises property companies on digital transformation strategies. You can sign up to James's weekly PropTech newsletter at his website, jamesdearsley.co.uk. You can find the link on our website. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bert. What a privilege to be here. I should probably start by mentioning that we're sat at uh, Launch 22 in, in King's Cross, which I uh, must admit I hadn't heard of before, but it's, <laughs> it's a great idea. Co-working incubator space with a social enterprise emphasis. Definitely. And it's all, it's all focused on entrepreneurs and sort of startup communities. So, you know, they get decent support from mentors and, uh, and very good and cheap and cost effective, I should say, not cheap uh, office space, which is great. James, I hope you don't mind me embarrassing you as, as the, uh, the kind of prop tech guru in the UK scene. <laughs> I'm one of many because there's now quite a few of us who are really championing it. So it's, uh, it's a great, great privilege to be on this wave. And your career began in residentials, so at both Foxton's and Atlas International. Mm. But clearly you saw this prop tech phenomenon from, from some way off. What was it that first drew you in and got you interested so I think I was, I mean, I was very, I was very privileged actually to be at, um, uh, with Foxton's for a period of sort of four years time, uh, when they were going through a significant change in the business. And I actually still attribute the time that I spent there in sort of late 1990s into early 2000s, uh, really the, the things that they put in place then technologically are the reason why Foxton's is Foxton's today. Okay. Maybe two years ago, cause I think they've fallen off a little bit, but I was very privileged to be a part of that movement, very privileged to be a part of this digitization of what Foxtons were going through, which was a fascinating case study of seeing how salespeople started to interact with technology, which is fundamentally flawed at the best of times. And then similarly with, with Atlas, I was very fortunate that we went through the hardest recession that we'd been through in a generation, which meant when it was an international real estate company and I was in charge of sales and marketing across 13 different jurisdictions, I couldn't travel anymore. 
which meant running the sales and marketing operations was fundamentally difficult. And we had to find technological innovations in which to aid me running my teams. And a lot of that was around communications, sort of internal devices, so intranet systems, which now are second nature, but back then were fundamentally non-existent. And certainly in the overseas property industry, it was very, very traditional in mindset. So again, there was a second period of time where I saw fundamental technological change within an organizational structure, which really for me meant that I saw technology as a positive rather than as a threat, which I still think a lot of people do today. And that really started my, my love of bringing technology and property together. Um, and then, as you said, I mean, sort of five years ago, there wasn't really anything out there. There wasn't really anything being discussed. And I, and I tend to think really that the success and the positioning that I've got now are really simply akin to being that sort of uh, really fat, ugly, smelly uncle that's at a family party um, and is just stuck in the corner. And he's influential in the family simply because he's been there longer than most people. Um, <laughs> and I sort of think that that's probably why, why I'm where I am now. So I'd like to certainly pick up on the, um, the kind of dynamics of adoption and, and resistance uh, a bit later on. Mm. But one, one of the things that's interesting about the time you're getting interested in PropTech is... From my experience in the 2000s, certainly, PropTech existed. We didn't call it that back then. It was more software. Yep. But people became quite skeptical of it because huge um, resources were expended both financially and, and in terms of time in getting these IT systems in place, which invariably under-delivered and you, you became a slave to the system rather than it actually being a facilitator. Mm. What suddenly changed, which made this... You know, software kind of more nimble and enabling? I'm not sure. I think as with any period of time and any period of technological um, innovation, there were always good solutions and there were always terrible ones. And it just so happened that there were more terrible ones than there were good ones. Um, I mean, if you just look at the innovations in the early 2000s, I mean, Rightmove were a classic yeah. example of that, which arguably, if you look at a case study of some of the most brilliant companies out there is without a shadow of a doubt one of them and it came out of that period where there were a lot of technological solutions which were fundamentally terrible but you know if you look at its success now 75 78 percent net profit margin i mean it's unheard of i mean genuinely unheard of one of the great things about right move which is why i think it was a precursor to much of a success now is perhaps that it's simplicity so right move is really a portal to getting people through the door and what a lot of the initial systems were trying to do was was everything. Yeah, absolutely. And that, but I still, again, I think we're still seeing those now. Some of those solutions are still going. Uh, and what they've done is they've simply, in, in terms of expansion and scale, is they've just purchased out rivals. Yeah. I mean, you've only got to look at the recent acquisition of Q by MRI as a classic example of that. Both huge legacy-based solutions, one US-based, one UK-based, and one acquires the other to further its expansion. But does it mean it's great? No, it doesn't at all. It just means that it's a big beast. It's got an awful lot of data within the platform. It's got an awful lot of complexity, which people have got used to over time. But I think they are also seeing the threat of, as you said it, more nimble solutions, far simpler platform models. And I think they see a threat on the horizon because the not only are the businesses changes, but the actual industry itself is shifting and changing. And they have to change with it. So if you've got a big legacy-backed solution... With all this complexity, you're going to run into trouble at some point. Funnily enough, we talked about Foxins at the start. That's exactly what they are going through at the minute, which is they built their systems in the late 1990s into the early 2000s. And yes, they've iterated and changed it and adapted it, which is great. But the business is fundamentally different now. It's fundamentally shifted. 
And we've moved from, for example, more closed systems to far more open, adaptable and collaborative systems. Foxtons don't have that. Some of the legacy systems are just not built that way. We've already named a couple of household names like um, Right Move and Cube. Well, Cube may yeah. not be quite so. Well, right, right Move are actually on a, on a precipice of change as well. I don't think their business model is sustainable in the future. But. It seems that in terms of market awareness, PropTech now reached a point where I think it's fair to say that most people working in, in the industry are at least aware of the term. What has surprised me, though, is that there's still an element of confusion about what it actually is when people talk about PropTech. And I know a while ago, in a response to a comment made by Brandon Weber, you argued that, your words, we still need a term like PropTech to bring everyone together as they discover for the first time innovation in the property market. My worry is that it's almost become a slightly exclusive term in, in some ways. So I'm prepared to bet that 99% of the people out there who are wondering what this property, still wondering what this PropTech phenomenon is, actually already use PropTech on a regular basis, if not a daily basis, whether it's valuers using Argus, agents using Zoopla, or property managers on, on Yordi, all of which has been around for years. Do you think there's a danger that the kind of nomenclature within PropTech is potentially isolating part of their target market? Absolutely, 100%. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Going back several steps, we said about the quote with Brandon Weber. So as a bit of context, Brandon Weber who was one of the co-founders of what is now a big beast in VTS, had basically said that we're all tiring of PropTech. There's PropTech fatigue. And my, my degree of context there was there's PropTech fatigue in the PropTech people who've been building these businesses for so long, and suddenly there's this umbrella phraseology that is being banded around. And my point was, if you're building a community of people, it's only when every single person is sick to the back teeth of that phrase that is probably the time that you need to consider whether it's worthwhile using. So my argument still stands, actually, that this term prop tech is probably still needed as this umbrella term for the wider property community, not the technology community, but the the property community to understand that there's a shift happening, that there's an understanding. But to bring it back to sort of this literal definition of, of prop tech, I completely agree with your statement. It was only a few days back and there was an award ceremony called the Esters, which is obviously an industry-based residential award ceremony. And the founder of the Esters basically said, well, surely prop tech is property and technology. We're all prop tech people, aren't we? Whilst I would say to him, you are using technology within the property industry, absolutely. You've got to look at the wider definition of what prop tech means, which is it's part of the wider change. It's part of a wider digital transformation. It just so happens that Prop tech has been the bit which has been taken on by many people. But actually, if you look at the wider industry and they've all undertaken a period of digital transformation, that's where we are now. We're not in prop tech. We are in a period which is a generally a, a seven to ten year transition where we are becoming far more digitized as, a, as an industry. If you look at the real estate sector, it's still very relationship driven, especially in the commercial sector. It's not really digitized yet. We're moving into that. And one of the things that I argue when I look to define what PropTech actually means is it's not really about the technology itself. It's actually more about the mentality of the consumers and the marketplace, which is we're 10 years in now to having our iPhones. We're 10 years into Kindles. We're 10 years into iPads. And what we expect as a consumer and as an industry is that things just work. Things are adaptive. You give an iPad to a three-year-old or an 83-year-old, it's intuitive, it's simple, it turns on, it turns off. There's swiping, it's interactive immediately. You don't have to have long, massive 
700-page user manuals. People just get the technology now. My argument to the industry here is it's about digital transformation. It's about a mentality shift that we are now used to using technology. So think about your consumers. Think about your employees if you're a big property company and understand that technology is shifting the very virtue of how we work and how we live. And that is what the property industry is going through. We're not quite there yet in the understanding of what our customers want. We've forgotten what those customers are. We assume that our customers want exactly what they wanted 10 years ago. It's not the case. Completely different now. We assume, as one of the pillars of digital transformation, that the competition that we have today is going to be the competition that we have tomorrow. It's not the case. It's fundamentally shifting. If you think today that in the residential property market that every single residential estate agency, of which there are over 19,000 branches, are going to be your competition in five or ten years' time, it's wrong. You're fundamentally got to reconsider who that is. Take banks, for example. I've been in South America uh, six months ago working with a big global bank who were asking the questions, how do we take advantage of the property market? Because we only have one aspect of it, which is the mortgage market. Mm -hmm. But actually, Christ, we have access to every single person's finances. We control their utility payments. We control their mortgage payments. We control their rental payments. And yet we're only looking after one aspect, which is transactional and a one-off situation, which is have a mortgage or a remortgage. They, they have got complete control over every other aspect of people moving. They understand the differences in how much you're paying versus I'm paying. But you could tell, you know, they could tell you, but you're paying 30% more on your utility bills than James's. I think you need to shift it. So competition today, it will not be competition tomorrow. And that's all part and parcel of all this digital transformation movement. You, you've slightly preempted um, one, one of my questions there, but it's uh, the example you've just given. It's really manipulating big data, existing data to extract additional profits or revenue streams. We've seen the first kind of start of a slightly allergic reaction from the, the recent Facebook scandals. Is there a danger that all this is going to end up kind of playing where the opportunity is big enough? It will play into the hands of the, the big tech companies. So if we take, for example, online agency portals, which hitherto have been done by startups or where they're established now, like Supla and Rightmove, the perfect people to be really doing this kind of work are Google, Amazon, etc. Who who knows more about what we want in terms of our preferences than these big beasts? And if there's enough money in agency portals, they're incredibly well positioned to tap into that. Yeah, they are. I mean, I think j just being very specific about it from a portal perspective, can they disintermediate the residential agents? Or mm. if the commercial sector ever gets going well, could they disintermediate the brokers? They could, but it'll be an absolute bloodbath. Um, not just in terms of the very nature of their current customer base, which is the agents or brokers, would run a mile. If they ran a mile, and um, I mean, the negativity surrounding such a move would be so bad that not only would they completely screw over their current customer base, but they're also going to completely ruin their profit pools. We've mentioned Rightmove. Let's carry on with that example. I think 70% or thereabouts of their revenue comes from their agent classified. It might actually even be more, maybe 80% comes from their agent classified. So if they suddenly say, actually, we're going to do all, you know, we're actually going to have a for sale by owner and we are going to do it directly now. We don't need the agents. 80% of their revenue they're risking, which is a tremendously huge risk to take for such a big beast and a listed beast. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you have seen Zillow recently in the United States doing exactly that which is providing a platform of which you can, they can disintermediate the buyers. Mm. 
And instantly, they had a 9% share drop that day because of this announcement. And they're calling the market. Now, I'm not saying it's not a good idea, but they should have been planning this years in advance. And arguably, if anyone's going to do it, Zoopla are probably in the best position because what they have done, if you look at the classic platform business model, Rightmove really digitized the way a portal business works. So they just you know, listed it. So they are a platform, but they're almost a one-sided platform model. What Zoopla started to do is they started to become a multi-sided platform model. So the consumers and the customers and the, the client base they were working to were not just people looking for homes. They were looking for utility switching. They were looking at loans. They were looking at crowdfunding in some sense. They're looking at a massive ream of different products, which means that the risk to Zoopla doing that sort of model is now a lot smaller. So I think it's about 25% of their revenue comes from classified ads. So that's not a, as big a risk for them to do that switch. Um, it'll be certainly an interesting battle in the next five years as to the right move Zoopla in the UK. It'll certainly be a fascinating business model analyses as to what they do next, especially right move. How do they compete? How do they get any better than that? It's a classic innovator's dilemma. They built the most successful business that they could ever build. They're not going to get any more successful, I would doubt. How do they shift? How do they prepare for the future? Whilst maintaining margin. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, don't think it's, I don't think it's possible. So, yeah, you asked me about data being at the forefront. Absolutely. Is it going to play into the, the minds of the big tech companies? I would say so. Google have been searching around to buy these sorts of businesses because they've recognized that they, maybe they can't build it themselves, actually, which is an interesting point. But they have dabbled in it before. Um, Easy have done you know, deals with these sorts of companies beforehand. But this isn't going to be an instant, this isn't going to change in a year type thing. This is a, uh, in my view, this shift in the property market is a generational shift. We're looking at five, ten years plus as business models change and the long, slow death of perhaps the more traditional side of the business, you know, on a percentage of fee of sale. Uh, it's not sustainable in my view necessarily, but it's going to take a while for it to, to go because there's a lot of faith and legacy built in our real estate market. There's a lot of trust. What would you say to someone who's listening to this who's aware of PropTech and that they probably ought to be paying more attention than they are, but not really knowing what it's all about? How would you advise them to get more involved? I think first and foremost, just just get some skin in the game. I think you've really got to do some understanding, some listening. And I think you know, you can't rely on your companies to, to educate you on this. I think this is really comes down to a personal shift, a personal understanding that technology is having a significant impact on your business. You've got to understand what technologies are the ones to be interested in. I think an understanding that it's not a disruptive force, I think is really integral here, that in the short term, there's this period, probably two to five years, which is all about endogenous technologies improving and innovating the space. So we mentioned software has been around for a long time, but I think the software is now improving at a point which is quite exciting for the industry to really become far more efficient. So that is a, it's a significant period of time for somebody out there who doesn't quite understand it yet to really get under the skin of what is happening. So that's two to five years. And then you mentioned earlier on about additional profit. I actually think it's not just additional profit. I think it's actually new forms of profit, which will be the next period, that sort of five to 10 to 20 years, where you've got 
more disruptive forces coming in. So your artificial intelligences, your blockchains, your immersive realities, all of these more exogenous technologies are coming in. If we use that to kind of split it in two, so kind of step one is, what is PropTech doing for you? Well, we, we had Will Blakey of My Office Move on the program last last week, and, and his point was very much that it's collaborative. He wants to work with the agency world and effectively take out the low-value parts of their job, the time-consuming tasks, and allow them to focus on the real value-add yeah. parts of their role. And that, I think, is the essence for me. Is that If you're looking to embrace it, you've got to be using, using technology to make your life easier and allow you to do your job better. Mm. And then, as you say, the second part comes in how can technology be truly transformational? And that's, I suppose, when we get into terms which even less well understood than, than prop tech, um, blockchain, AI, augmented reality... What is blockchain and how's it going to change our life? If you genuinely want to go down the rabbit hole of understanding what blockchain is or understanding the five different forms of artificial intelligence of which they are vast and Mm -hmm. there's industries specifically set up in each of the AI sectors that there are, you're going to lose your job. You know, it is that much information you need to understand. And, And what I put to you is, do you genuinely need to understand the minutiae of detail about how blockchain actually works or do you just need to understand that it is going to have an innovating and a disrupting element to it and working with that and it goes back to that same old thing of if you look back when you're entering a website address now and you you have to type in https colon forward slash forward slash all that little bit before you actually get to the website address you know previously you just typed it in because you were told to type it in you didn't necessarily understand that it was a certain protocol that had to be put in place you just did it because you knew it was important and i would argue that's probably going to be the same with the blockchains and the ais of this world which is don't aim to understand every single element about it because you're going to be here forever i think that's fair but i I think there's also you know this this element of uh self-isolationism where people you know it's a buzzword now blockchain so oh my technology is backed by blockchain of course it is and that's the way that a lot of people are getting a lot of funding especially around ai right you know similar to putting bitcoin in your absolutely web domain a few few months ago was making you lots of money so right you have to tread, tread the the line between understanding enough and not fully immersing yourself in the minutiae yeah, it's an understanding that in this generation, it is going to innovate your job. And by understanding the changes today, you will be better positioned to take advantage of the changes tomorrow. And I think that is probably the most important thing to learn here. Because even if it's looking at AI, I mean, there was a recent report by McKinsey that stated that you know, 60% of jobs will be impacted yeah. by AI. But they then broke it down to say, it's actually not about the jobs, it's about the tasks that those jobs have. And then they actually said that 60% of jobs will be impacted because 30% of the tasks within those jobs will be done completely automatically by an AI. And that's the sort of thing that is responsible thinking, which is your job is going to evolve. Therefore, it is your responsibility to understand the very nature of how your job might evolve and work to those advantages. Because it's the people who sit there with the blinkers on saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's not going to impact me. It freaking well will. Mm-hmm. You just need to understand the application of these technologies and work with those applications. It's exactly the same as what happened with Foxton's in the years 2000s when they brought in a CRM system which fundamentally shifted the very dynamic of how as a negotiator you negotiated. It told you how to do things. It automated the way that you would do your call-out. Most people hated it. 
But the very few people, including myself, who worked with the technology to make me and us better negotiators, we were the ones that were the top of the boards within six to 12 months because we worked with rather than against what technology and the advantages that technology was giving us. That's my view as well, is that you don't really need to know where this is all going to end up, but you do need to appreciate that it it is making life easier in the short term. And if you're an earlier adopter, you you stand to benefit. So James, in in, in terms of, there there is a link on my website to your PropTech UK map, which I think is Mm. actually a brilliant way of I'm trying to visualize what PropTech actually involves in the various categories. And anyone who goes on to that, I would be very surprised if you don't recognize a lot more names on there than you, than you might actually. And that's about think. to be updated. There's going to be even more. So lots of names, lots of different spaces. There are some categories in there which, to me, looks like they may have reached some form of, if not maturity, a point of, a point of consolidation. So payment platforms, for example... How many more of them do we need? Yep. Um, is it a time for consolidation? Possibly. Which categories do you think have the most scope for growth, both in terms of innovation and size of market? Crisis. I, just define growth for me. Do you mean as in number of companies coming into it, in terms of number of investment going into it? A potential impact on the, on the sector. So... Uh, that we will see increasingly in our in our daily lives as I think you're absolutely right some of the circles in that map and and even in the uh, the recent update we're doing on it and incidentally what is interesting on this is that we we're not just doing it for the UK we're doing it globally so we've just done an entire map for South America broken it down into countries we're currently doing it for China we're currently doing it for Australia we're currently doing it for most of mainland Europe and the trends are the same the larger circles at the minute are around online brokerage and this whole online and hybrid estate agency and brokerage in the commercial market. They are absolutely, for sure, the easiest markets to break into if you're an emerging country trying to get into the sector. So I think that's probably the area which we will see uh, consolidate down. I think areas of growth is undoubtedly going to be around the world of artificial intelligence because A, it's so vast as a field, and B, there are so... You know, if you think about we are the largest or second largest asset class in the entire world at... Savills, I think, predicted at $217 trillion recently. You know, we have so much data in there, so much potential to mine data, both in terms of actual the numerical side of data, but also on the visual side of data. You imagine how many photos and floor plans we take of our properties around the world and how AI will be able to um, really get into understanding the visual imagery of each of those photos and floor plans and also look at the data and look at trends and analysis. So for me, I think one of the undoubted success stories over the next five to 10 years is going to be the application of very simple-based AI. But I also think that that's going to be a pretty quick growth and then a very, very quick consolidation because I think what you'll see is a lot of the portals, a lot of the online agents, a lot of the other business models, the software provision, the property management provision will all be purchasing or acquiring AI, small AI, singular use AIs into their own internal systems. So I think what you're going to find is, and what I'm expecting to see is there'll be lots of smaller technologies which will be absorbed into much larger technologies. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, what you saw was software platforms with very similar business models being acquired and merging together, which just meant bigger beasts and more challenging legacy systems to try to work together, which is always going to be a challenge, I think what you're going to see is a lot more smaller niche technologies which will complement more platform-based businesses, which will mean that actually they will add quicker, more positive impact into the, uh, into the mothership, as it were. That makes total sense to me. I mean, it seems in some ways we're, we're still at a stage where it's 
there's a mass rush to collate data. Yeah. And the next stage is how you can use AI because it, it's so complicated that I think it will need AI to inter- interlace all the various data sets to actually give you, you know, intelligence, which Absolutely. can give you an advantage. But, but I, think, I think we're going to find that in the developed countries are where I would say property and prop tech are very, very deeply ingrained in, in society already. Uh, I think when I look at emerging markets at the minute, uh, the business models of online um, brokerages and, and agents are most definitely, they are the first ones which pick up in emerging markets. So we've just done it in Argentina and Brazil and Mexico, for example. The first and the biggest segments which are growing quickly in the new emergence are that sector. And then it will all work out around them um, in the next sort of year, 18 months. Well, James, thank you. I've just got two final questions for you. Go for it. Firstly, your favourite building. Oh, my favourite <laughs> building. God, that's a really good question. What is my favourite building? You know, I'm going to go a bit bizarre because I don't even know the name of the building. No, I can't even say that because I don't even... No, go go for it. We get get this quite a lot. Just a vague description that I have to go and uh, dig out. I I love merging the traditional and the the new together. And so there's a particular building which it's in London and it is a beautiful old building and he's just surrounded by you know, these massive, beautiful technological skyscrapers. And it's just this little bit of history stuck in the middle of it all. Um, but I love, for example, the uh, BFI on South Bank. I really like the um, Festival Hall because yeah. they are little pockets of brutalist architecture stuck in the middle of what is actually a pretty cool area. Uh, finally, which is a difficult one for you, but is, is there any particular innovative company out there or innovation which really excites you at the moment that we should be keeping an eye out on so i'm I'm currently in the middle at the minute of um selling uh, a flat of ours which was a flat that myself and my wife got engaged in so it's quite special to us and i'm as a caveat i had invested in a company with the first prop tech investment i made so there's a huge caveat in the sense of i'm an investor in this company but i didn't expect to validate their business model by the experiment I'm currently doing, which is I wanted to sell my flat through a technological solution. And I have instructed eMove as as an online agent, which I've been brilliantly impressed by because their systems and processes are absolutely spot on. But one of the things that I feel is that, interestingly, the systems are absolutely brilliant. And I think what the online have to do is they have to bring this pool, this community, which I don't think they have. I don't think they have the soul of an area yet, which I think they'll get in time, but whereas a traditional agent will have the soul and the community of people. But what they lack, the traditional agents, is they lack the processes and the systems of something like an eMove have. And I think the perfect marriage is when the traditional agent with a community, the soul and the passion of the people has the technological backbone to it that an e-move has. And I think if you marry those two together, I think you've got a perfect match. If I hadn't invested in, in High Street, I would now be doing so because that's exactly what they do. They provide white-labeled solutions in an endogenous form of technology to the next five years where the High Street agents need desperately to catch up with their online rivals, which have got systems and processes which fundamentally out um, outbid those guys. And if you can have that on a very, very low cost base, which you can incorporate into your current business model on the white-labeled solution, why wouldn't you do that? So for me, that's about supporting and collaborating traditional, new, together. Um, and that's a perfect system for me. Super. And uh, if anyone listening wants to get in touch and talk about uh, how you can help on digital transformation, what is the best way to contact you? Yeah, so if you want um, sort of support my reviews, then as you said at the start, so do it at jamesdearsley.co.uk. 
If you want some contentious, thought-provoking articles on digital transformation and prop tech, go to proptechconsult.com. James, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Bert. Thanks so much. The depth of James's prop tech knowledge is seriously impressive, and there were plenty of things I would have loved to continue to chat through with him. I really enjoyed his openness on the subject of what the term prop tech entails. Now, my conclusion from all of this is that you don't really have to worry about what prop tech does and doesn't mean, but just be aware that innovation in one way, shape or form is highly likely to impact what you do for a living if you work in the real estate industry. As James says, that doesn't mean that we all need to become tech experts overnight. Quite the opposite. It just means taking the time to understand how we can complement our existing skill sets and professional offerings with some of the emerging technologies. Now, not all self-proclaimed prop tech firms are going to be the panacea to our problems, but the chances are that someone out there is already developing something that can make you more effective. Finding them and collaborating with them early doors may just help you stay ahead of the competition. Remember, prop tech needs property just as much as the other way around. In the meantime, I'll be meeting many more tech innovators in the coming weeks, so please stay tuned for future episodes. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and you can also subscribe for email updates on our website, buildingourfuture.net. Please do rate the show if you've enjoyed it, and remember that you can share episode links via email, LinkedIn, Twitter, and various other social media forums, all on our website.